Hello and welcome to this special edition of the podcast from the ANF Network. On the 20th of September, we were invited to the National Adoption Strategy Team's Conference on Openness and Adoption in London. Uh, Unfortunately, Scott couldn't come, so I attended on my own. It was planned initially to be just for adoption practitioners and exclusively in person. However, there was such huge demand. Consequently, it was opened up to an online audience of practitioners, adoptees, adopters and birth families. I was part of the roundtable event, but was lucky enough to chat to a few of the contributors as well as the co-chairs Sarah Jahal and Mike Hancock. And I also got to squeeze in an interview with a couple of them. The audio for this is okay, but you do get to hear some background noise, a sound check and kitchen sounds and all that kind of thing. Hopefully you get a flavour of the day, and I think it's really interesting. This is the topic that will define the future of adoption, and we've got to get it right. It's interesting to think that we have within our ability to change the future, so we can we can set the bar really high, we can affect what happens now. But in the midst of all that, we've got to think about those families that have kind of lived with what we've done in the past. And so that was one of the questions that I, th- I came away with thinking, well, how do we support families now uh, with children? How do we support those adults now who are perhaps looking for records and wanting to reconnect? So lots of food for thought. Really hope you enjoy it. And as always, thanks for listening. While you're here, it would be really appreciated if you could give us a review. It makes a big difference to how many people get to listen. It moves us around algorithms and all those kind of technical stuff. So whether that be on Spotify, Alexa, Amazon, iTunes, podcasts, much appreciated. And as always, thank you so much for listening. So it's before the conference starts and I'm with Mike Hancock. So Mike, it's lovely to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks Al. Yeah, looking forward to today. So tell me about what you're doing and what you're hoping for from today. Okay, well I'm, I'm down as co-chair for, the, for today for the Openness in Adoption Conference. I mean, to my mind, Sarah Jahals, it's her baby really. She's co-chairing with me, so she'll be introducing stuff. But I'll be helping her kind of host during the day. And then at uh, 11.15, I think it is, we're going to be running, I'm going to be chairing the Experts by Experience panel. So we've got um, seven people, including lovely Al here, who is on that panel. Uh, we've got uh, three adopters, we've got two adopted people and two birth parents. And we're really going to be discussing the, the ins and outs of uh, the benefits and the pros and the cons of openness and contact and what that means for families and what that means for and the shape of adoption as we know it really. So I'm really excited by that. A question I'm going to ask everyone is really what, what are you hoping would be an outcome? Or Because often conferences can be great, it's nice to see everyone. Yeah. But what would, you love, what would you love to see as an outcome or, or, or you know, some sort of fruit from the conference? Well, well my understanding is, is on a practical basis, is that the, the attenders um, at the, the actual conference here in the, in the hall in London are champions who are going to go back and champion some of these ideas in their agencies, which will be great, so that will have practical outcomes. But I think some of it is just to continue that kind of, uh, I'm going to call it culture change really within adoption, which allows people to think more openly about it and question some of the ways in which we've done things and look towards making that more fit for the 21st century really. It's a, it's a bit of an anomaly f- for me in the way that it's, mm-hmm. it's such a secret thing and, and I was adopted myself in a time of, of, of obviously great secrecy around it and I don't think that really fits the way that we live anymore and yet the, the solidity of adoption and the bonds it can make 
could, can still be really valuable for children and young people. So somehow, how do we balance those things and, and move forward? So this is another part of that conversation, I think, which is yeah. going on at the moment. And hopefully this will be, you know, another step forward in that road. It's not going to suddenly change overnight, but it'll, uh, it'll make that conversation move forward, I think. Because this issue of maintaining links with family sort of was really highlighted in the reports that you produced earlier in the year yeah. from both families yeah. and from adoptees. And has that sort of informed the conversation or has it brought anything new that you wouldn't have necessarily thought to the conversation? Um, well, interestingly, I think, I think in some ways it, it really just confirmed all my suspicions. Some of it was worse than I thought in the sense that, that um, you know, 13% of adopted people from across the ages said that they had enough information to form a sense of their own identity when they were growing up. I mean, that's extremely low. Mm. Um, and it was confirmed, I suppose, how, how little indirect contact letterbox and all the rest of it actually worked over the years how many people actually went on receiving and giving letters over the course of, a, of an adopted child's growing up was very very few yeah um, and and I, I think we kind of knew that but to have it there in 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 data was really useful I think for us so and I think for me personally rather than just having my own sort of emotional leanings towards wanting more openness it was a it was really affirming I suppose to see lots of other adopted people as well as birth parents but adopted people saying um, yes I, I would like that too that's the way things should be. So. Thank you I said I'd, I'd only take up five minutes I've got a minute left so here's, a, here's one question um, you're chairing a round table where we've got you know people who've been adopted we've got birth parents we've got adoptive parents mm. uh, professionals we've got a whole mm. range do you see tensions between those communities? And you, I mean, you've got the work, well, probably the hardest job of chairing those, that, that group. Yeah, I mean, I've, I realise that there are, but I don't actually see them when people meet. And I think that's part mm. of what we do when we do these things is we, we humanise people and we take away... Just keep going, it's fine. We, okay, we take away some of those. We take away some of those divisions. Last year in um, National Adoption Week, we had a roundtable with two adopters, two birth parents, two adopted people online, and it was just great. And there was a lot more agreement than than, than disagreement in a way. And as I say, once people actually meet as people, then they're not. You know, birth parents aren't demons, and yeah, you know, all that. Absolutely. So I think that's great to try and do that. Break down barriers, really. Well, Mike, that is really, that is fantastic to hear your aspirations, and I think you've got a really good handle in it. Thank you for the musical interlude, <laughs> uh, sort of the soundtrack to your, your interview. Um, and I wish you well with the yeah. round table. Thank right. you very much. Cheers, Al. Thanks. No worries. So I am speaking to Tegan Boynes, and uh, Tegan, you've been on the podcast a few times, haven't you? Um, and you're, today you're part of the round table, so can you tell me a little bit about why you're part of the round table and what you're hoping to talk about today? So I'm part of a round table as I am an adoptee, so I'm sharing my perspective as an adoptee and also my views and thoughts from that and my reflections from that. I think what I'm hoping to share and sort of hope that the audience will gain from that is the understanding from an adoptee's perspective of how openness can actually be a positive thing. And actually, yes, there are challenges with being open in adoption and open with contact and in various other ways. How adoption can, yes, be challenging, but it is a worthwhile challenge. And actually, the understanding of what actually risk is and all of that, because I yeah. think sometimes we think of risk of the child being hurt in contact, but actually 
what it might mean if they didn't actually have that contact. I think that's something really important. I think more and more adoptees are talking about of what do we actually mean by risk? Because I think whenever we talk about risk, we mean it in the sense of, oh, if a child gets hurt, if the birth family member says something wrong or something like that, rather than actually what it will be like if a child doesn't get to know about their birth identity and stuff like that. Yeah. And like you said, you talk a bit about risk there. And is it a scary subject for adopted people, adoptees, to talk to about talk to with their adopted parents? I think it can be because I think everyone has different motives when they're thinking about contact or birth identity. I think the adoptees have one motive and a lot of time adoptive parents have different motives. I think sometimes their motives are similar but I think reality is we all play different roles and I think those roles mean we see everything slightly different and so I think that can make it challenging and I think it's also challenging because it's that thing if you don't want to hurt your adoptive family or think actually make them think their identity is lesser or I'm not interested in your identity or I disowning you. It's very much actually, I just have two identities. I have two sets of information. I just need to understand it. And I think that can be very challenging of that sort of balancing up of you don't want to hurt your adoptive family, but equally it's that's trying to portray, actually, I just need to understand who I am and where I come from. Yeah, because I think that, well, sometimes I see that when it works well, is it that, that a child can have one identity that has two things in it as opposed to just two identities and do you think that do you think that's possible that children can hold all of the well not just children children and adults can hold them two things together i think definitely because i don't think there's a limit of how much identity you can have i think we very much are a society where we like separating things and giving like labels and boxing things up but i think that doesn't always work and i think we do very much think of birth identity in one end and adoptive identity in another end. And I think that is where this idea of separation comes from. But I think that can be more damaging. I think it definitely can be a one thing because at the end of the day, I'm not in two halves. I am one whole human. And yeah. actually I see my birth identity and my adoptive identity as just me. Yeah. I don't see it as like, right, I'm stepping into my birth identity hat and I'm stepping into my adoptive identity hat. I am just me. And so I think it is very possible, but I think it's a messaging and how things are portrayed to the adoptive child, but also to those that interact with them. Because I think if they're being asked by school, so what's your birth identity or what's your adoptive yeah. identity? So I think it's very much, there are barriers to it, but I think it's very possible. Well, I mean, that's a great message. And I think you're a great, you've, you're a you're testament to that possibility. Um, well, I hope you get the chance to say that in the round table and I'm sure there'll be lots of conversations going on. So thank you very much for your thank time you. and uh, good luck. So Sammy, we're at the uh, Holiday Inn in London and that's really exciting. We're at the conference today. So tell me, you've been asked to come here and talk about your experience um, as a birth parent, but also your specific work that you're doing and your views on contact. So could you tell me a little bit about what you're hoping to share with the professionals here? I'm hoping to share that it's important for birth parents to be involved with things in adopter training, getting that lived experience, um, and also about how positive indirect contact can be via the letterbox system. Right, because that's often I see lots of criticisms about indirect contact, and do you think that criticism's fair? And what would you like to see to make it better? I think some criticism is fair, especially like when things are late yeah. or people don't get things and the stigma around like it could be unsafe to share photos. So I want to share what I get because mine is positive yeah. and people can see that it 
it can be safe and it, it can work and about how it's really important for that child to know where they're from, their identity and for them to still know that they are loved and that the family that they had first is, is still there and how important it is for, for that, for, for the whole, the whole of the adoption process. Yeah. That's quite, I mean, it feels quite risky you speaking out. Does it feel risky speaking out? Sometimes it does. And right. sometimes it doesn't. Obviously, you've just got to make sure you don't share sensitive information. Yeah. That's, that's, the tri that's the tricky bit. Yeah. Because I think so when we talk about voices being heard, often birth family and birth parents like yourself, you're often the, the voice that no one's that, or it feels like not necessarily that interested to listen to. So is it, what is it like having this opportunity? Oh, it's great. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's really amazing to have opportunities for someone to listen yeah. and for someone to see that you're not just what's wrote on a piece of paper about yet. And although lots of bad things could have happened, that you are just a normal person and that your child is loved and that you will still mean something to them and they still mean something to you. And trying to get that openness and that change in adoption to make things more open um, is what I think is the best thing to try and move forward with things. Yeah, because you, you're, I know that you work in groups of other birth parents like yourselves. And so what, what do they say, those groups? Are you, do you feel like you're here as well representing them? Is that a pressure too? Um, sometimes it can be, because obviously everybody has their own story. And when I talk about my positiveness, it's not always the same for everyone else. Yeah. So sometimes it is a little bit hard to talk about that positiveness but I feel that if no one is going to talk about the positive things no one would see positiveness yeah. and people would just see the criticism all the time. Well I mean that's fantastic and then um, thank you so much for sharing with me I know you're you're in the middle of having a conversation I pulled you away so I apologize and I wish you I hope everything goes really well I think I might be in that workshop so I'm excited to see it if, if that's what I mean I can't remember what I picked now so I just get I just the, the, the I just go where I'm sent basically yes. so thank you so much um, so Sarah thank you so much this is your conference your baby your brainchild and <laughs> um, can you tell me why you put it on and what what you're hoping for from today? There's been so much discussion over the last few years about adoption and about needing to modernise and change. And um, it's a really great opportunity to be able to hear from the people you don't usually hear from. So hear directly from those people with lived experience and to have a forum and the opportunity with some funding from the government to be able to get these voices out and to actually mm -hmm. take action and move positively forward around this subject. It feels like we've been talking about it for ages. Yeah. Um, and it just felt like there was kind of the mood music was changing in all the different spheres of kind of people that I was talking to and it just felt like this was the right time and with the Maintaining Relationships group we've got such a diverse group of people who it just felt like they could really kind of take it forward and be the driving force really to create change mm. so I just feel honoured to be able to be part of it and to be able to be hopefully a bit of a catalyst for change. That's great and I, I was listening I was one shouldn't take too much notice of what goes on on Twitter. Um, but I was kind of hit, watching some of the voices and people saying, we've known about this stuff for ages, why now? Why, why haven't we been doing this? Why, why has it taken until now? And is, do you think there's a, there's a reason why this hasn't been part of the conversation until now or not as prominent? I think, if I'm honest about this, I think historically in the adoption field, we've heard a lot more from adoptive parents. 
We yep. actually haven't heard from adopted people themselves and we haven't heard even less from birth parents themselves. So it feels like over the last couple of years we've done a lot of work to really try and get those, amplify those voices from adopted people and children and young people. Um, sadly we don't hear directly from them around how they can shape and develop support that they want and what they what they need so it, it just feels like it, it's it's just you know sometimes it's the right time yeah. when the stars align and <laughs> people are kind of talking in the same yeah. sort of vein so yeah it feels like there's a bit of momentum and I know Beth's been going on about this for years and years and years and yeah she's yeah so the yeah. authority isn't she yeah and um, can I then pick up a little bit so I, this has turned into a bit of a Paxman moment and um, that one of the, uh, the other one of the criticisms I've heard is is from people who are older adult adoptees who are saying well hang on why are we part of this conversation we're maybe in our 40s 50s 60s is there a reason for that is that is there a is that just an oversight or is that just not how it worked out is there a there is no conspiracy theory about us excluding people from yeah. this conversation but I think what we do know is that we know a lot about people who were adopted in the 50s right through to the kind of 80s and the impact on them as individuals and the negative impact around secrecy in adoption, closed adoption, the impact of that. There's such a wealth of research around that and I think what we're what we're trying to do and what I'm particularly trying to do is move the conversation forward because the children who are adopted now are children who are adopted from care usually because of abuse or neglect. It's a very different set of children to the children who were adopted in the 60s and 70s and I'm really keen that we have a dialogue with that group of children and that group of parents that are caring for those children. I think it's really important that we learn from those people who were adopted years and years ago, but I feel we've heard quite a lot of those voices. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that in all of our working groups around this issue and our work around um, the support that we're trying to start to understand the needs of a bit more around adopted adults, we get some of that, the views from that, from that particular group in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the elements is that we're talking about, we're talking about how do we affect change within this system. Yeah. This, this, frame, this legal framework, how do we do it now? And that people's experience may not... It does, yeah, there's some universal experiences, yes. but we're talking about a system now, aren't yes. we? Or a system that harks back to what, an 89 yeah. Children Act? That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, so you, we're not, the day's not over, but um, anything that you've heard, you've thought, oh, that, I had not heard that before, or anything you'd kind of went, oh, that, that, that's different, or that's interesting, or that's gonna move us on a bit, or new knowledge. Um, well, I really liked hearing from all the different people on the round table this morning and I was really struck by what JP was saying around circumstances where actually sometimes it's really not safe and appropriate for yeah. children and actually it's really important that we look at every individual set of circumstances on its own because of its own merit or its own issues. Um, a couple of people have said to me we've forgotten foster carers and actually foster carers are an amazing resource and actually deal with quite a lot of this stuff all the time mm -hmm. for children who are in care and actually could we use them as a kind of a resource to be able to help us move the conversation forward and not just be involved in the debate but actually utilize them as a skill to support potentially adoptive parents in yeah. this space so that's a key learning for me and a key challenge to say come on let's think about what how we involve foster carers in this debate as well, well that's fantastic thank you well i'm not going to take up too much more of your time because i know you're you, you're schmoozing around and you're um you're glad handing all the the, the good and great good and famous around the, the, the building so thank you very much much appreciated yeah thanks al cheers, cheers.
Hello, Clarissa. How are you? Hello, I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. So the conference is just finished, but you've had involvement in all bits and bobs all the way through the day. So tell me a little bit about why and what you were doing today. Um, so I was invited because I'm on one of the boards for adoption. I can't remember the actual name of it. Do you remember the name of the board? Maintaining, Maintaining significant relationships yes, within adoption. The yeah. That's the um, thanks, because I would never have got that otherwise. <laughs> um, and we've been meeting up regularly, having discussions about contact and openness in, con um, in, in adoption. And so this has been conversations we've been having for years, to be fair. And then um, we decided that there was going to be a conference. And I was asked to come and talk at the table discussions. Mm -hmm. And then only last week got asked to run a workshop too. Yay. Excellent. What was your workshop on? Um, it was about transracial adoption. Right. So I've got mixed children and they are in a mixed adoption placement, mm -hmm. if that's what you call it. Their parents are, yeah, one's black, one's white. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was nice to be invited. I, I took, I'm a white woman. I know a lot of people yeah. can't always tell by my voice. <laughs> um, so I did feel when I was asked initially a little bit out of place, mm -hmm. like I wasn't really the right person to speak on this topic, but it actually made sense as well because then it's like a white woman's perspective. I've got mixed children, the importance yeah. of that to me. And yeah. When I think that is interesting, isn't it? Because we sometimes as a white woman or as a white man um, some, and my children are mixed. My adopted children are mixed, so we're yeah. <laughs> so we're like the you know, flip side of the same coin here, and um, I think that that it, yeah, that's a complicated conversation, isn't it? Because we're not, we don't feel necessarily welcome, but we have got like you've got skin in the game yeah. massively. Yeah, I I have a black family. Yeah, as much as I'm white, I have a black family, and I think that's what needs to be recognised is the fact that once you, regardless of you have a mixed race child, you know it. it they are black. Yeah. They're never going to be seen in society as white. So I think that um, today's conversation was really important, um, talking about heritage and culture and how that needs to be in, you know, installed in adoption from early, from PLO, from all the way through, not just a, a second thought once the kids have been adopted and, and the parents realise that they're going to have to handle and deal with a lot. Yeah, I, I heard... Um, uh I, listened, I was listening to it and I can't remember his surname, so I'm not, not misquote who he was, but he talked about how when families adopt a child who's you know, black, that it, a white family adopts those child, or that it doesn't just change the parent, it changes everyone in that family. It ripples into grandparents, aunties, yeah. uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, all of that. Everyone kind of has to really become conscious of who they are and what mm. they think and feel and say, because um, there's a lot of people that are unconsciously racist they don't realize it they don't necessarily mean to be yeah um, but society has just made it that way yeah um, and breaking down those barriers and being able to stand up for your children and nobody else might your will um, you know so yeah it's um, a whole other layer to adoption and identity and culture and heritage there's just so much more yeah, so that's yeah, and I think that's a conversation that is sort of floating around, but not necessarily being had enough, is it? Yeah, and I've always been a little bit scared to have that conversation, if I'm honest with you, because I don't really know where I stand. 
I feel like it's only now, like I know that um, like my friends don't see me as any different. They don't, like I've got a lot of black friends that I go to and call on in certain times where I don't necessarily know how to deal with situations. Mm -hmm. um, and my black friends are the ones that taught me how to cook. And my black friends are the ones that have taught me how to do hair and to do the, and I wouldn't have known these things without mm -hmm. people like that around me. So then if I was just this white girl with a mixed race child with no one else around me to teach me the culture and the heritage and all of those things, then I'd be the same uneducated white girl as everybody else out there, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and I think when I look back to when we adopted uh, the girls, we fostered them and then we adopted them. And the questions we were asked in terms of how would we support? We were being asked by a white social worker of about to white family, and we they didn't know what questions to ask, and we didn't know what answers to give. And well, how do you, how do you know if if the person who's answering is giving you the right answer if you don't know the answer in the first place? You know, yeah. you have to. And, and I find that um, a lot of the time, especially in social work, you have like the tokenistic black people that people go to. Mm -hmm. They're the go-to people when you have a black family or you know like I'll go ask them because they'll know yeah. but you should know anyway it's your job to to know every single different dimension of families and you know be able to work around that so yeah sounds like a great uh, seminar I wish I'd been there I got I didn't see it was I was I'm not very good at organizing myself I was a bit flapping around and um, <laughs> it was great today at the we did the um, the roundtable conversation yeah. and you sort of you were talking about your experience of kind of open um, well not open adoption but openness in yeah. adoption and um, why do you think there's been a why do you think it's taken us so long to see any changes because it's tiny changes isn't it across the system because it's taken this long to hear people like us it's taken this long to get to a point where we've got a platform to speak on and we're able to articulate what we're saying without us just being birth parents who mm. are a risk to children or going to cause harm to these children. You know, um, it's taken this long for people to realise that people can change. Um, nothing has to be the same forever and actually with help and support that anyone can be a good parent um, and anyone can work alongside these kind of, you know, once your children are adopted, be able to work alongside professionals and adopters and sit together and, you know, like today sitting at that panel and I'm next to an adoptee and I'm next to an adopter <laughs> and, like, and we're having a laugh and, you know, whatever and, and, and actually... 10 years ago, I didn't think I'd be in the same yeah. space as an adopter or an adoptees and be able to have these conversations and still laugh and joke. And, you know, when we see each other and everyone's like, oh, it's so nice to see you. Yeah. And, you know, it has such a big impact on me being able to articulate myself, me being able to feel comfortable enough to speak in front of hundreds of people, yeah. um, to be heard and to be listened to, but to be felt as well um, and I think that it's taken this long because everyone was scared yeah. no one wants to take the risk um, birth parents especially are portrayed as you the, know the boogeyman yeah yeah so then it you know people like me and Sammy and Angela and all the other parents now that are doing some incredible work yeah yeah I, it's it's taken this long because our voices weren't out there before. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, from my point of view, I want to thank you because you're a trailblazer. Thanks. 
Well, yeah, <laughs> but it's true because I think that there's much as there are lots out there, I know that there's a cost and there's a risk to that. So I want to yeah. thank you. Thank you.